This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back. Welcome in Country Roads Confidential at Earsports.com, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. I am Mike Casaza joining you after a riveting guaranteed rate bowl. Minnesota just kind of follows the script, Chris Anderson, and I don't want to be over dramatic or anything, but just to me, this is about the worst possible ending for West Virginia when you consider that for half of a season, they kind of battled these stereotypes about maybe what they are or aren't, and maybe like there's a silver lining what they could be. You kind of get an opponent that doesn't match up particularly well with them, and you have one touchdown, six points, 191 yards of offense, and a really futile game plan, energy, and then I don't know what that says about the future. I am with you 100%. I think you have all that time between the end of the regular season and you get to the bowl game. That is a time for kind of reflection on what happened during the season. Uh, an opportunity to adjust your game plan. Maybe, I mean, you see teams across the country. You saw it tonight with Minnesota even. It's an opportunity to try exciting things on offense, do new things, try things out. It is an exhibition. It does, I mean, it does count towards a record, but it is, you know, it's not going to affect what happens next in during during this current season. So you you see teams just trying things and doing things and and this was not that for West Virginia in any shape or form. It was a struggle. It was a lot of the same people struggling, doing the same things again. I mean, I I, I think the very first podcast we did this season, I started it out the same exact way that I'm starting now. Uh, and that is the problem right there. John Madden passed away on Tuesday. And one of my favorite quotes from him, I don't remember if it was a game or during a video or one of those, I don't know, maybe it was like a Frank Caliendo lampoon, I'm not sure, but he said, if a team doesn't put points on the board, I don't know how they can win. And I just watched that offense and I just think, I don't, and never mind that I'm not really sure that they know what they're doing or what they want to do or what they want to get away from or get into. I just don't know how they score points or, or what their plan of attack is for things like that. And then I hear a lot of things about the quarterback may be back, the scope position players may be back, and I just wonder about that. And then the one thing, and I looked this up here today, just to go another Madden thing. If you make a mistake, admit it quickly and emphatically and don't dwell on it. And I just wonder if you come to a point now where you just say, listen, I have plenty of proof here from whatever year this is, right? Um, Something isn't right. I have to admit that there's a mistake and I got to – do so emphatically and move on perhaps more emphatically here. How different do you think this looks the next time we see this team, be it that in the spring or at Heinz Field? Well, that that was one of my my three immediate thoughts. And maybe the, the biggest one was, uh, do you remember during the signing day press conference where Neil Brown said, 
you know, he kind of reflected on his first couple classes here, realized some of the mistakes that he fe- he felt that he made or that his staff had made, not necessarily with evaluations, but with fits and the type of people that he needed at West Virginia and for this team and how they were making adjustments already in this class and would make even more moving forward. It was, uh, quite frankly, the first time I recall him just saying that something was not working, that he was doing, and it needed to change. Now the question is, and and you you put it to me, and I'm, I I don't have the answer. Is will he also have that same type of reflection for the people he's putting on the field, the coaches he has around him, the scheme? I you know pick any in one of these different things. It could be any combination of or, or all of them that need to be fixed, adjusted, whatever. Does he take that same kind of approach that he did with recruiting? Look at it, step back, say this needs to change, that needs to change, something needs to change in order to fix it. And I think the answer is yes. And the reason I think that is because of what he said about recruiting. It seems to me that he has reached this point where he knows that something has to change. Does it for Jarrett Daigie? Yeah. I think so. I think, I think so. Um, if he feels like standing behind that line and getting pummeled by blitzes again, are we? Let's, let's ask him if he's sure he wants to do that. That was a tough game. Um, and I don't know if the air came out of the balloon there, but that looked like a guy who just wasn't getting help from people who have been helping him. I don't know if he was defeated or discouraged by that, but that line had played better than that. But it just got outperformed by a defense that, if you remember, we said they don't blitz or pressure very much. And I it looked to me like they got surprised by some blitzes and, and some things that they just were not expecting or maybe they weren't ready to do. I noted this earlier in the game. You can tell me if you agree or disagree. I'm sure other people will too. But West Virginia tried to do some tempo. And it became pretty apparent they didn't have tight ends and they weren't going to be able to pass block very well. And when they're running tempo and you're putting four out or maybe even five out sometimes, it's going to be a pass and they were just sending people through. And I don't, I mean, that's one thing you, you catch a defense off guard, but I'm not sure the offensive line had time between snaps to communicate what it was going to do. And I also think that Minnesota just delayed all their blitzes and disguised so well that they never gave the center out to the tackles a chance to communicate what was going to happen on a play. And that's why they had so many free runs, but um, that was not a very encouraging performance by Daigie. And if they have made up their mind that he's going to come back, good luck selling that. And if they have decided that he's not going to come back, then I think you you kind of give him the gold watch on the way out here and say, thanks, that was a tough way to go out. You know, we owed you better than that. But I think when you kind of look at the knock against him is that he just kind of is who he is and he does what he does. And the only difference is that he ran in a touchdown. And that may be a tough thing to say, but that kind of fits the whole passes prologue here. And I don't know. If you have better options or even different options and a different ceiling that you can access with other quarterbacks that you would go down that route again. Yeah, we've been kind of going back and forth on this over the last handful of weeks of what the next step is for West Virginia at that position, particularly for next year. And and again, I just today. It, it's not all on him like that offensive line, the, the offensive line played horribly. Um, they the, the, the tackles who had played so played better over the second half of the year. They improved so much uh, and really kind of were 
key to that offensive line turning things around. Doug Nestor also a guard had turned things around. Um, and then Minnesota, they didn't get pressure up the middle and they got pressure everywhere up the middle on the edges. They kind of did whatever they want wanted. Uh, granted, they, they did do a nice job mixing in those delayed blitzes. I thought that really confused the heck out of West Virginia. But mm-hmm. you're right that once you give that look of, yeah, we're definitively passing, it's pretty easy to kind of pin your ears back and get after it. And for Daggy, you know, it did seem like once they got a couple hits on him, once they started kind of pressuring him, it kind of, I don't want to say he kind of curled up in a fetal position, but there was one play where he almost literally curled up in a fetal position, even though there wasn't that much pressure on him. It just seemed that the the pocket seemed smaller than it was to him after he got hit a couple times, which is a recurring issue with him. And I, I just don't see this marriage lasting for another season for, for a variety of reasons for him. If, if, if I were him, I wouldn't want to be running it back. I'd want a fresh start. I'd want to find a place that has the offensive, this solid offensive line in front of me that can then can keep me clean so that I can show my skills. Um, if I'm Neil Brown, if I'm West Virginia, I want to, you know, get a fresh start as well with somebody new, be able to sell something to the fans, to the rest of the team uh, that, that you can turn this offense around. Because I think if you try to pitch, we're going to turn this offense around with the same quarterback that struggled for the last three years, no one's going to buy that. No one is going to buy that. One reason that, well, let me back up. Here's a really good question. If you say they're going to change their scheme on offense, they change it to something. I understand that. I don't know what they change it from. And I think part of that is because the offense has been not one-dimensional, but also not multi-dimensional. It's pretty easy to get a beat on West Virginia and to contain that offense. And we've said that a bunch. If you can cover their routes and get passing, get get pressure on the passer, you're going to be effective. They may run the ball and they may be effective and they may do some things from from run to pass. And if they do, they're going to win or they're going to give themselves a chance to win. But if you cover the pass and you can pressure the passer, however you choose to do that, there's many ways. Um, you're going to have a good chance. And that's what it is. Like if you pressure Daigie, especially early, you're going to, at the same time, elongate and expedite the game. Um, you're going to make it long on him. And you're going to make it quicker on you because you're going to arrive at the conclusion faster. And that's again, what we saw tonight. But again, I just don't know what plan B or C or whatever they want to do is because they haven't been able to get there. And that's some Daigie. That's some offensive line. That's some receiver two years ago, running game two. And eh, I guess three years ago when uh, Daigie was just getting in here, but like, I don't I don't know and I don't think they know, but I think they know what they have right now is is kind of have kind of has them boxed in a little bit and it's going to be hard out. And one of those other two guys or maybe three guys will give him a chance and we'll see. I don't know. But that's that's just the one thing I was just watching again going today that's saying, hey, here's a team that has no familiarity with them. One crossover opponent. I doubt they studied West Virginia when they played Maryland during the season, but maybe when they went back and they matched up, I don't know, just some things they did. Um more importantly, they just had a month to get ready, and they said, well, this is what three or four teams that had success do against West Virginia this year, last year. This is what we can do against West Virginia this year, and it worked. And it shouldn't be that simple. And if you have other options or other waste options, there you go. Um, but again, that that could be it, and it could not be it. Who knows? But can you imagine, Chris, coming back the first day of 
next week or two weeks or whatever and saying, well, welcome into my office, Jarrett. Sit down here at the head coach's desk. Let's talk about your future. I can't believe that's the conversation. I, I just don't believe that hasn't happened yet. And I can't believe it's going to happen that way based with, with this being the the impetus for that conversation. That seems completely unlikely to me. I'm with you. Um, do you think they've had a conversation about what responsibilities the offensive coaching staff will have in the spring and the fall already as well? Or do you think, I mean, I mean, I, I'm kind of on the same ilk here. Like, is can they come down to the point where, yeah, everything's we're running it back until this game? Now we've changed our mind. Like, do you feel like this game has changed whoever's stance on that? Neil Brown, Shane Lyons, whoever you want to say it is, or, or was that kind of already made up? You think? Well, I mean, again, they were supposed to be good this year. That's what yeah. the plan was. That's why everybody got extended, and that's why Brown's contract really amps up next season because they would have a productive year, and then the Rays would come in, and everybody would say, "Well, that was well earned." Be really hard to do that now. Um, I don't. I don't think it's a big deal to buy out coaches if you got to fire a couple of them. Whatever, but those are decisions you have to make. And it comes to, I mean, just something like this, for example. Matt Moore is not a bad offensive line coach. He's worked well before at many different places. He's had good players, and I think you could say that his recruiting and his coaching. With, with help from others, I get that, has gotten this line to a position where it could be very good next year. And again, it could get old together. Based on what you've seen, do you want him to be in charge of that? I don't know the answer. We're going to have an answer soon, I think. But, and, and it may be in the form of no news, just the same as it may be in the form of news. But it's not like the fact that does he deserve um, or how responsible is he for what's happened it's also kind of what happens next. I don't know if that makes sense. Like you could say that he's had pros and cons in his three seasons here or in his past with Brown or there's other schools, but can he do what has to happen next? I think that's the question you really have to answer. And that's going to take an evaluation that, um, you know, maybe there was a conversation before this, but today's performance is so startling. I think that you'd at least have to go back and look at it again. And again, it's, it's hard to use one game to, erase not erase even but just kind of skew a little bit or blur what's happened in the past three years you don't want one bad day much as you wouldn't want one good day to obscure anything but it's not like what happened today was a random occurrence either so i think that that has to be part of your evaluation coming up even if it's a reevaluation. i have an answer for this question i'm about to ask you um but i want to see what you think what if if there was one thing one definitive thing that had to happen for this offense in the next two months before before spring ball starts. What what has to happen, and and everything else remains the same. Like if you change X, but it's not Deggy, Deggy stays. Or, you know whatever it is. What's the one thing that has to change? If they had game maker game breakers on the outside at receiver or game breaker, I think that's a huge difference. They just don't have that. Like Winston Wright's a, a kind of a dynamic player, but it, it's really hard to spring that slot guy open. He's supposed to run a lot of short stuff underneath. I mean, maybe he could go vertical, but just the way they run their offense, it's it's intermediate stuff and sweeping routes and short routes, and it's not going to be anything where he gets up the rail very often. If they had a guy who could really put the fear into into corners and safeties and open things up, I, I think that would be a huge difference here. Running back, I think Tony Mathis will be fine. I think the offensive line 
could be, again, could be very good next year. If you believe in what you saw the second half of the season, you probably have to be at least intrigued, perhaps not encouraged, but at least intrigued by what may happen. Quarterback, I think I think that's a hard one to answer right now, too, but that that dominant kind of alpha receiver, I think, would change the temperature a little bit, wouldn't you? Yeah, but my one thing, clarity in the offensive room, in okay. the offensive coaching room, because we've been hearing it for the past three years of everyone has input on the offense. Everybody has input on play calling. Everybody has input on game planning. Everybody has input on everything, uh, which is good to a point. You want everybody involved. Otherwise, you wouldn't have them there. Otherwise, they wouldn't, you know, they're good enough to be here. They've earned that right to be involved. But there is a reason why there is a coordinator. There is a reason why there is a play caller. And I think this is part of the problem. I think this is part of the reason why we don't know what the identity of this offense is. This is a reason why I keep bringing up the tapas comparison I talk about with this offense. I think there are five, six people putting in input on this offense and it's all kind of getting jumbled together with no clear vision for what this offense is going to be and how it needs to to move forward. So I think in order for West Virginia to make that leap, yeah, there are some personnel things that need to happen. I think they need to figure out the quarterback position. I think they need game breakers for absolutely. I think if you ask me, do you need to change a quarterback or do you need a playmaker on the outside? My answer is they need a playmaker on the outside. I, do you know how many – quote-unquote big plays West Virginia had today, plays over 15 yards? Zero. I was going to say, did they have one? It was no, Reese no, Smith, wasn't it? Yeah, they had, they, had a, they had two 15-yard plays, one of them long after the game was over, um, and one of them with, um, yeah, one of them was at, with that Justin Johnson play on the last play of the game, uh, okay. and, and one was the Reese Smith where he fumbled, but that was exactly 15 yards. No, zero plays over 15 yards. Minnesota, which is not a very good offense. It, like just, I mean, they run the ball and they have some success, from, but they're not a big play type team. Eight plays over 15 yards. West Virginia, zero. So they need to play makers. But, but, but my big thing is they need to find clarity in that offense room. They need to find the vision and kind of focus it a little bit. It's just all over the place. That's probably the right answer. I, I would I would maybe even go back and, and take my back and say I would get in line with you behind that because that's any direction. And again, that direction is going to change what their scheme is. And like that's where they're going to have to get to. But I don't know what it is right now. And it probably has a lot to do with what you're saying right there, too. And I think that you may you may draw a connection here to like two different points of the season and triangulate it to the two and four start where a lot of chefs in the kitchen to the four and two finish where it was streamlined down. And one of those guys is gone now. And I just don't think that you have a guy like Sharaka on the staff. And then you bring him from analyst to something above analyst, but not also assistant coach without the plan of having him around a little bit. And he moved on. That's fine. I don't think that's a strike against Neil Brown at all. But if that was a little bit more jumble going into today and the game planning was different and I had more people in there again, um, if Brown was involved in the game operations today, which he really wasn't the previous four games, that would concern me a little bit. And maybe this is a bit of an anomaly because what happened today wasn't like what happened the previous six games. But still, it's a concern, and maybe it means they have to get this right in the future, too. 
and that could help. I think if you look at some of these coordinator hires at different schools and especially new coaches getting people from like Western Kentucky, there are ways to just there are ways to make that flash that lasts. You can find a coordinator somewhere who can do some things. Um, but that also means sometimes you just let Jared Parker cook, so to speak. And you say, all right, listen, it's your thing. Now we tried it a couple of different ways. You know, what do you have? Like, what can you make work? And you let him go. We don't know if he has it or if he can make it work, but that may be the the option that they end up exercising here too. We'll see. The fact is that they lose a bowl game when they allow 18 points, when a quarterback completes eight passes and the quarterback that completed eight passes did not beat you with your legs. Um, you had a team that made mistakes uh, missed field goal, turnover in the red zone, wasn't great on third down, five for 13, 0 for 1 on fourth down. The 0 for 1 just taking a knee at the end of the game. I get that. But, I mean, apart from a couple of big run plays, which is what Minnesota does, that wasn't a great offense and made a lot of mistakes and did some goofy things like flea flickers and, and just wasn't very good when it had a chance to really create distance or emphatically in this game. And you And it gave you chances if you had some semblance of an offense, which – didn't happen, and I think the fear for this game, which team would be more prepared to play, which team would want to play, and it, West Virginia just didn't look prepared early on. Got its act together for a little bit in the middle, and then just kind of faded in the middle third quarter on through the fourth quarter, but first 15 minutes were extremely discouraging. Yeah, absolutely, and, I, and you kind of hit the nail on the head there with the, the comment about Minnesota. They, they didn't play, I mean, they I mean, they dominated West Virginia, let's be honest. I mean, they ran the ball when they wanted to, but but it was not P.J. Flex. I, I think I'm, I sent you that message early in the third quarter, maybe right after they ran that flea flicker, after they got a big run and got into West Virginia territory, then ran a flea flicker and went backwards. And that was this, no matter, I said, no matter who wins this game, Neither coach should put this on their resume, should put this on their highlight reel, because this this was a terrible game for Fleck. It was a terrible game for some of the play calling on offense for them. They could have probably should have won this game like 28 to 6, 35 to 6. They were they were running the ball at will and just kept shooting themselves in the foot with with some some really poor decisions, a couple, uh, you know, very timely mistakes. But just not a great game for them, and it didn't matter. West Virginia couldn't capitalize in any shape or form. Some, I don't. Uh, there's, there's a little. I, mean, I just don't want to spend a lot of time in the game, but just a couple of things just kind of just made me curious here. And, and I, I guess this is just where I have questions about consistency and management and things that maybe seem small but do seem big sometimes too, especially when you're at the end of a season. You look back, but you know, it's it's the whole the whole touchdown debacle for uh, the first Minnesota touchdown, I don't, I, I finally turned the muting off. I turned the mute off. I turned the volume on because apparently Rod Gilmore was having a great night. He was on fire early. So I wanted to catch some and they were making a big deal out of Falele being in the backfield and that West Virginia was spooked by seeing this. They had 13 guys in the field, not 12, not 10. They had 13 guys in the field. That's illegal. Now maybe they should be allowed to have 13 or at least 12 when you have a 600 and, 55 pound fullback in the backfield like they had i get that but like that's not paul bunyan right it's not like they panicked and called a timeout they just weren't ready and then not only that but they 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 slipped a new receiver into the the backfield to be the holder and the tv crew caught it and the special teams didn't and they got tricked on a what i think would be if you were scouting a probably pretty obvious um 
two-point conversion play there. I don't know how often the receiver is your holder. I know their backup quarterback transferred, but their other quarterback's a wildcat quarterback. They have a punter. A lot of punters do it. So, like, there's probably some way to figure out something isn't right here. Do you burn a timeout on a two-point play? Probably not, but that just was a pretty embarrassing sequence right there. All the special team stuff looked really bad. And and these are small things about just preparedness and, and, and competency and doing your job. And it's just, it's never right. And then how do you start a half, take them to delay a game on a kickoff, right? Uh, how much field position did they give away again on bad punts, on penalties, on punts, on penalties before a kickoff, just strange stuff like that. Let's return a sky kick. You know, we, we fielded our three yard line. Let's return it. Even though the return, the coverage team is right there. Just really bad. And like special teams are a big difference for a team that, you know, wants to be on field position throughout the season there. I'm trying to figure out here. Uh, 35 for Minnesota, 18 for West Virginia, average starting field position. That's that's 18, 17 yards, but still that's consistently different. Um, and then just some of the difference that West Virginia did that was inconsistent was on offense that stood out too. Like, you know, they start Justin Johnson in the second half, two running plays, 11 yards, first down. All right, doing good. Pass, 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 incomplete, incomplete, uh, incomplete, incomplete sack. And you punt it. You're giving it right back. Um, the the uneven fourth down decisions, going for it on one and, and punting on the other. And just, I, I don't know, it's not like they're flipping a coin, but I just feel like they never had a feel for things. Just the whole thing felt disjointed from who's on the field, how many people are on the field, can special teams work, what's our decision here, what are we going to do here? It just felt like they were spinning atop it sometimes and just trying to figure out where it was going to land. And, and what direction that would point them in. Do we have, here, I'm not going to ask if we have it. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make you answer it. Give me one positive on offense, one positive on defense from today. From that's a good. Okay. I'm, I'm in agreement. That was going to be my offense. I, I feel like he has great balance. His legs are always moving, which are two things you really look for in a running back. Um, didn't get a lot of lanes and, and still got some yardage. So I think, you know, is he going to be a game-breaking 1,000-yard runner next year? Maybe, but yeah, he looked good. He looked like a serviceable, at worst, running back for next season. Um, I know he fumbled, but Reese Smith, it just seems like when he gets involved, something good happens. It's small samples, I get that, but sooner or later you got to give a guy a bigger spoonful and – Maybe it happens for him. I don't know what it's going to be, but it just seems like that's something generally good happens. I know he fumbled. I get that, but they ended up throwing a pick on that possession anyway. So, yeah. defensively, harder for me. Thought the cornerbacks played well, though, and that's a good sign. Matthews and Woods on one side, Porter on the other. Um, they're they're just they were really thin on defense. That's that was pretty apparent. But um, I know the Mesador had a good moment. Stills had a good moment, but they they really. They got swallowed and covered up by their offensive line quite a bit. Uh, They're good enough. They can win some battles and make some good plays. I get that. But that's a credit to West Virginia as much as Minnesota. Minnesota's offensive line is good. I thought that West Virginia had some moments there. But you look at the numbers at the end, wasn't a great great day by the front. But they quieted a good receiver. They made some plays in the ball, a good interception. I thought the cornerback play was was pretty good. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm feeling really good about my Charles Woods preseason breakout player Mm -hmm. pick. Mm -hmm. Uh, he's, He's looking better and better. I mean, that. You're really shoring up that defensive backfield for next year. You got him coming back, Porter. Um, yeah, I think he gave up a little too much inside leverage early, uh, but it seemed like he adjusted it later. 
Uh, Nick Troy Fortune should be healthy by next year. You bring in the FCS All-American that they just added uh, mm-hmm. by a transfer last week. So so things are looking better there. Um, Lance Dixon, 11 tackles. Today. Really active, too. Like, like yeah. they when they had good edge protection, he made some plays. He got he got he got folded in sometimes and he got knocked out sometimes. But he, when he was competitive, they were good outside. Yeah, I, I was gonna say I think that's the most that because he's been he's played a lot of the games. Not every game. I think he was you know he was hurt for a while there towards the end of the season, but even earlier in the season when he was kind of splitting time with extra low and even you know I think for a while there for a couple of weeks he was getting the vast majority of those snaps. I don't want to say he was irrelevant or I didn't see him, but I just didn't feel like he was as active as he was today. I felt like I saw him around the ball more today than I did most of the year combined. So, so that's a good sign, you know, to finish on a strong note for him. He is technically right. Like a red shirt freshman, right? So he, he, if 2020 didn't count, so, um, no, sophomore. He'll be a sophomore next year. So, not bad for a young linebacker. Is he your starting Mike? That's a good question. They I really missed the Tony Field speed and, and sideline to sideline. And obviously the fact that he was just off script a lot, but really productive. But Dixon can move around and, and is probably, I don't know, I'd have to look at the sizes. I feel like he's as big as Fields or at least comparably big. It's something you can work on in the, in the offseason. That's an NFL player. I know that. But I think that Dixon at least has that pedigree slash potential and not that not that Josh Chandler Samita was bad. He had a good season, but there were times you could tell that they really missed that lateral ability. And Dixon certainly has that type of agility. So what's that? I mean, are you expecting anything drastic in the next week or two? Oh yeah. Or you think you do? Okay. Yeah. Just because that's what that's what the offseason is kind of boiled down to now. Like you're, we're probably naive to think that all 10 assistants are going to be back. I don't think anybody has that expectation and that you're going to see some changes. I just don't know that – I don't know how you could look at what's happened even when they were good and say, okay, this is fine. And if you if you had a 31-18 a to 18 final today, that would not change your opinion about what has happened in the previous whatever amount of time you want to use as an evaluation that you had today, what you've seen before, although not recently, but you've seen before that that probably can't change either, but it maybe solidifies your feelings a little bit. I just don't know that you can do that. We'll see. And then I, the, the one big question is Dante Stills. He certainly made it seem like he's coming back. I believe I shot you a message last week before we split mm-hmm. up that there were certainly some rumblings going on that he was coming back. He's talked to people about it, basically saying, why wouldn't I come back? You know, what's the, what's the allure for me in the NFL? Will it be there in a year if I'm better? Like, am I losing a spot if I don't go now? I think he's realizing that, no, it's going to be there for him, and, and maybe he can scoot up and make some more money. We'll see. Um, and then they're, they're going to have to hit on the transfer portal in some spots, aren't they? Yeah, I still think there's some need there. I, I still think they need to figure some things out. They still need to, and maybe this ends up being more high school kids, but they need to, they need to keep refreshing that, that wide receiver room. I, I mean, they're low. It's at what seven, I think. Eight, you typically want at least ten, um, or at least somewhere between eight and ten. And I think it's like six or seven right now. And, and you're still waiting to hear answers from Sean Ryan on what his plans are. So, wide receivers one, um, maybe linebacker. Kind of depends on how you feel about moving those guys around to different spots. 
And even though they just added, you know, the the, the big time transfer at corner, maybe another defensive back. I, you know, Neil Brown said they would add multiple there, so still possible. Counting in my head, because Caden Prather didn't play. Mm-hmm. They were without twelve guys tonight who would have played because of injuries or the portal. And like a twelfth is is anybody from uh, T.J. Banks, who obviously would have been valuable Isaiah as a possible starter. Not game breakers. Not gonna. I don't think the difference between winning and losing, but having an accumulation of those guys probably does make a difference. Down to people like Parker Moore, who would have been either your tight end or your extra offensive lineman. But like twelve guys who didn't play. They only brought seventy one to a bowl game, which is a really low number. And you figure a lot of those are special teams, extra pieces, whether it's backup punters, backup long snappers, guys who are just going to get in to run down and make a tackle or, or cover a punt. So realistically, I would think probably like 52, 55 people tonight, which is that were available. I, I would be surprised that many played. That's a really low number. So they need an influx of, of quantity and quality. And um, we'll see how splashy they can be. They've, they've been okay. They have some unanswered questions, you know, stills. Uh, as Dale, excuse me, uh, Ryan, what does Deshaun Stevens do? Um, Woods is back. Jackie Mathis is supposed to leave. Um, they might want to have a conversation with him about that. We'll see. But there could be good news. There could be expected news. There could be bad news, too. But these these stories typically write themselves in the days and weeks after a bowl game. Yep. And that was a rhetorical question about big news in the next couple of weeks, because I actually went back and looked. Um just wild stuff happening like the right around new year's uh last year was the oscar shibway departure <laughs> on new year's day um the year before that uh there were two coaching changes the first couple days of january including change of recruiting coordinator and then the year before that was dana leaving at 1201 a.m mm-hmm. on january 1st neil brown coming in like a week later um, and you keep going back and yeah, the, the first few days of the year, last couple of days of the year, uh, busy, busy times. Unlike Tuesday night in Chase Field, 11 possessions for West Virginia, a touchdown. Uh, the rest are punts, a turnover, a turnover on downs and the last drive of the game. So not a whole lot going on. They, they, boy, they really need a punter too, don't they? Tyler Semper's a nice guy, good personality, probably been fun to be around, but uh, they don't have a guy who can boom it and and flip it around like it looks like they probably think they hope they have in Oliver Straw. But um, that wasn't a very good part of their game tonight either. But again, very little went right, which is again what what couldn't happen and what probably people were worried about is that you're going to have to do many things right, couldn't afford many missteps, and that unfortunately for West Virginia didn't happen. And here we are at the end of the season. Six and seven at the end of the third season. Uh, if I have this right, 17 and 18 overall. Um, not to put a lot of pressure on everything, but I think when you want to look at, for example, quarterback or trying to find and really secure impact transfers, maybe at the expense of a younger player at a position or at several positions, you open up with two really difficult non-conference games on the road next year. And if you start off one and two in non-conference play, that's not going to be good for the population. No, it is not. No, it is not, Mike. Hey, but you know who uh, went way over on the over/under? No, you and me. Oh, <laughs> take the, it home. The old, the old fake Bob uh, flow chart. Fake Bob Huggins made up a flow chart for us on what we should do. How? Not sure how long to make Country Roads confidential after the game. Gave us a flow chart, and according to his flow chart, quote 
15 minutes tops. Um, we've doubled that. Doubled it. So. You've uh, 110%. <laughs> That's what we're here to do. I, I don't know about you. I really wanted to stay up till 2.30, so. I, I was kind of... All I kept thinking about was the, the last time this happened. And I feel like, I mean, I went back and look at when some of the stories went up. I mean, I don't think I was in bed till 4 o'clock because that was a 43-42 game. That game went on forever. Yeah, I still have some work to do. Same. Let's do that. Uh, yeah, and then we'll, we'll refill our uh, energy reserve here. We'll be back on the site the next couple of days, break this down in small bites, but then basketball. Two road games. I, I'm going to be very surprised they played two road games, to be honest with you. It looks like TCU has some issues, but at least one road game against a top 10 Texas team. And then uh, I guess, I don't know, a, uh, an autopsy of this 2021 football season. Any previews for us, Chris? Yeah, tomorrow I'm going to have update. I'll have the report card from this. Uh, have Neil Brown up maybe not long after this or first thing in the morning uh, from his post-game comments. Uh, caught up with two big, uh, let's say big time, relatively speaking, uh, preferred walk-on commitments that happened over the holidays while I was on vacation. Um, then we'll start taking a look at the early 2023 recruiting board, do a recap of the site. Uh, you know, we set a record um, for mm. visitors, page views, all that. Uh, we actually set it last month. Uh, so this month was just gravy on top. Uh, but so we'll see what the top 10 stories are where everybody came from, uh, the top cities where all of our listeners and our visit, our visitors came from. That's always a popular thing to do around New Year's, so we'll have that too. Well, until then, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. Thanks for uh, following along during this football season, putting up with our many uh, piping hot and ice-cold takes. We'll do it again once basketball season starts. That'll be sooner than you know it. Maybe more eventful than you're expecting. At least 11 one start gives you that indication. Um, I don't think this one's going to end up under 500. But hey, if I'm wrong, you can remind me in the future. I'm sure you will. I'll talk to you next time.